if you don't recognize the pastor, don't feel bad. That's what the greeting period before or, or earlier in the service was for. But no, I, I do have the great privilege of being able to um, bring the word uh, today. And um, Niall um, has been uh, quite busy this week, and so he asked me to go ahead and uh, take the responsibilities on. So they didn't get in last night from a wedding until 12.30, 1 o'clock. So uh, they might fall asleep. Hopefully you guys don't. But uh, they at least have an excuse for it. But no, this week as I was getting ready, I um, it was my dad, of course. He he um, <laughs> he he's doing the same series, and I'm like, well, Dad, you know what? Uh, what can I get from you that would help in this? And he's like, well, I'm on chapter two, verse eight. So uh, so hopefully, hopefully. We'll, we'll be all right, but uh, God has used a donkey to, to talk to his people, so hopefully he can use me. Um, that's what we just sang about, how great thou art, so the, he, yeah, no. In all seriousness, this is my first sermon, but it's such an honor to be before you today and so excited to uh, have the, this privilege, so let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Father God, we thank you so uh, so much for this awesome opportunity, um, please um, let this be an opportunity where you are glorified through your word, Lord, and, and uh, we just thank you so much for this opportunity. In your name we pray. Amen. I was hoping Arkansas would win so I could brag a little bit on them, but uh, that didn't go so well against Alabama last night. But regardless, I do claim that I, I, I am from Alabama, or from, from, no, definitely not. Whoa, whoa, this is getting off to a rocky start. No, originally from Arkansas, if you didn't know. Um, and Arkansas is really known for, for uh, two, two things, football and rocks. We even name our capital Little Rock. The reason for this is are, are also two different rocks. One are, are the quartz crystals. Um, they, they are littered all over. You can basically go anywhere in the state and just walk around. You're going to find um, crystals from that size to, to several thousand pounds of these clear rocks and they're, they're very pretty and everything they're just so familiar to us down there um, we go um, though often as a family we would go to this place and if you're ever in Jesseville Arkansas I, I know that's high up on your list go to Coleman Rock Mine it's it's a wonderful place where you can go as a family and basically they give you a big bucket and you go fill up as this bucket with as many of these crystals as possible and, and it's a wonderful time it just for a you know 14 year old boy uh very quickly i become bored because these are in my backyard they're they're gorgeous crystals and and but i become very bored very quickly so then of course it naturally builds to me annoying my sisters or, or mom and dad that's then my focus not not the the crystals but a second rock and this is on the back of the, the i tried to find an arkansas quarter this week it's 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 a diamond well, that's because the only diamond mine in North America is actually in Arkansas. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> um, but one of the, um, it's really a cool attraction. And so me and my family would also go uh, to the Crater of Diamonds um, in, in Arkansas, and, and we would pay. And once you pay, you can go in there and find as many of these diamonds as you want, and, and you get to Keep them. So it's a, it's a cool deal, especially, again, for a 14-year-old boy who thinks, I'm going to finance all my Lego projects off of this trip. <laughs> now, granted, most of the diamonds are, you know, 
maybe five dollars uh, or worth five dollars tops, but they're quite difficult to find. But actually, a, a forty-carat diamond has been pulled out of this. Um, so yeah, I did, not by me. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, it, it really, we we get there, and you know, I'm expecting it to be like this crystal mine that I'm so used to. You know, diamonds just littered all over the ground, but. Um, I didn't see too many of these perfectly cut gems. It's definitely not how they are in the ground, as I found out quickly. Um, and so I began digging. I'm like, well, you know, they, they must be buried deep. You know, that, that's where these diamonds are. And so I start digging a hole, in, and pretty quickly, I get bored here too. But not because of just the familiarity of these stones, but because they're just difficult to find. And so I should keep digging because that's what I can do. And so I end up digging this eight-foot pit in the ground that I'm sure people have fallen into many a time since I've been there. Um, And that was my goal for the afternoon. It really quickly shifted from finding these diamonds to fund my Legos to this big pit. But isn't that what happens so often with Scripture? I don't know about you guys, but for me... One of two things happens. Either I come to a passage that I know so well. I've heard sermons on it. I've I've read it. You know, Sunday school has been on it so often. And that doesn't mean that there aren't gems there. There, There's always, the word is living and active, guys. There's always something new to learn in these uh, scriptures. But sometimes I'm just like, well, it's for for the new believer. It's for the the kids. You know, there's nothing in here. Wrong. Second thing that can happen, which we're going to dive into a passage that's very similar to this, is we come to a passage that we find, this is quite difficult. This is going to take some work. And it's very easy to become bored and and distracted when the passage is really difficult. So that's what we're going to be doing. For those of you who haven't been with us today, we're, we're in the book of Revelation, a very difficult book due to a lot of symbolism and it's all happening in the future it didn't happen in the past so we're going to turn to to revelation chapter 10 today niall's done a wonderful job of leading us in this book over the past several weeks and each chapter he has um, come up with a key phrase about christ because we believe that revelation is the unveiling of jesus christ and so because of that, we want to find what is being unveiled about Christ in each of these passages. And so today, I'm not going to tell you. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. But be looking for, for what is being unveiled from this passage about Christ. Revelation chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like a roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders uh, uh, spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and, and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, 
the earth and all that is in it and the sea and all that is in it and said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice I had heard from heaven uh, spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Now I know why you went out of town, Nile. No. What I find most beneficial when we come to a passage that, that is confusing and difficult with lots of different moving parts and um, lots of symbolism is before we make any assumptions, we need to break down these individual aspects of the passage. And so naturally, the, this, the first aspect of, of this passage is going to be breaking down who is this angel, this mighty angel? And it says in, in the first verse that this is another angel. Well, in that there's another angel, there had to be a predecessor, correct? There had to be an angel before this one. And so we look um, to uh, uh, just a few chapters earlier when the mighty angel with the large scroll, the one with the seven seals on it, when he comes before um, in, in heaven and says, who is worthy of opening the scroll? That's the other angel that's being referred to. So some scholars believe that, that this could be, um, could be Jesus Christ. I, I would say because of this and that Jesus tells John to go take the scroll from the angel, I, I would shy a little bit differently. I, I would say that this angel is just another mighty angel. But I think that there are some important things that we can learn from him, regardless of if he's Jesus or not. He's still important. Um, what's an angel's purpose? Well, what does angel mean? It means messenger. So what message is this angel giving us today? Well, to diagnose that, a lot of the description is really beneficial to this. It says, it says that he is robed in a cloud. This is often associated with God's justice. It's judgment coming to the earth. Um, it, and, and so I, it, it's gorgeous, though, the picture that comes next in accompaniment with this cloud. And, and that's a rainbow. Where, where have we seen a rainbow before? Obviously. Kids, where have we seen a rainbow before? <laughs> when it rains, yes. How about a time in the Bible? Noah, absolutely. What was that rainbow to, to, to signify? That was God's promise that he was not going to wipe out the earth in that manner ever again. And so this angel is already, um, must be speaking heresy there, I guess. I don't know. But uh, so this angel is already showing us that God is remembering his promises, his, his mercy in spite of his justice. Pretty cool. 
What else is said of this angel? Well, it says he stands with a foot on land and on sea. And if you've been with us the past couple weeks, Niall has gone through just what's going on with the land and the sea at this time. It seems pretty, you know, it's an apocalyptic state. But what the angel is signifying here is God's still in control. This is not a time where Satan is winning. This is not a time where Satan has all power. No, no, no. God is in power. God is fully in control. He's saying, yeah, the sea, it's turned bitter. third of the people have been, you know, um, killed because of, of this. And, and all these different plagues that have occurred out of the land and the sea, well, it's important to realize that even in the midst of an apocalypse, God is in control fully. Is Satan? No. God gives Satan the power. He gives the demons the power. So if he's the one giving the power, he holds the power because he can take it away and will. Also, this angel is a messenger. He gives the absolute most best introduction to Christ coming in the scriptures, I feel. We had, me and Niall actually this week had the privilege of going um, to a conference earlier this week. Um, and it was a great time, but at one of these big conferences, you don't just have a, a speaker get up and, and typically give an introduction telling you about himself, because I could get up here and say anything about myself. There's someone that comes under authority and comes out and says, I know this person, I, I, here's his, his credentials basically, so listen to him. And so, as a messenger, that's what this angel is doing. He declares that under the authority of, of Jesus Christ, basically, without any further ado, here comes Christ. And what an awesome introduction. I, I was thinking this week, what would be the most incredible introduction? And I'm like, this angel has to have Morgan Freeman's voice. Has to. But in all seriousness, he is introducing the return of Christ. That's, that's pretty incredible. What an honor. The next aspect of, of this passage that, that we need to dissect, and, and we're going to jump ahead. We'll get back to the thunders. But we need to look at, at Christ. You know, it says here that, that um, and I, uh, then the voice in, in verse 8, then the voice I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Well, who has this voice been over and over and over that we've already studied? Well, that's Christ. So I want to, I think that would be a good thing to understand what Christ is doing in this passage, yes? Typically, that's an important part of the passage. And so it says um, that he then turns his attention to to John here. Do you remember last week, Niall, saying that that God um, puts his praise, his glory on hold to listen to his children? 30 minutes of silence in heaven. We've discussed before the throne room of God, just how full of praise and glory it is. But God says, whoa, 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 whoa. My children, they're talking to me. That, that's cool. Well, well, Christ does it again here. You know, the, this angel, this mighty angel with authority gets up there and introduces Christ. And Christ is like, oh, wait, no. Uh, John, John, John. 
his focus is to John. And, and who's John in this? Well, he's us. He's a representation of, of, of us. So God's focus, once again, he puts his glory, his return on hold. He wants to focus and be sure John gets it. It's because Christ is the great teacher. That is what I feel is being revealed in this passage. Christ is the great teacher. So what is he teaching? What's he teaching John with this, yeah, a little bit confusing passage of Scripture? Well, there's one more piece to the puzzle that needs to be dissected before we can really analyze it. And that's the scroll. What's the scroll in this passage? Well, as we said with uh, earlier, there's another angel. Well, there's also another scroll. That passage before speaks to a, a scroll with seven seals on it. And, and so that scroll is going to be the revelation of God's plan for redemption. That scroll is, is God's plan to restore man to a pre-Eden state once again. And so in order to do that, obviously, God has it mapped out. He knows his plan from beginning of time, it says in scriptures. And so what then is the little scroll? Well, I've deemed it as the, the purposefully selective revelation of God's word. The purposefully selective revelation of God's word. Some say, you know, it, it, it's the, the title deed to the earth. Some say it, it's the New Testament. Regardless, it is a purposefully selective revelation of God's word. I would hold that this is, it, it's the Bible, guys. Isn't that what we have before us in the scriptures? Every word is picked out intentionally. It's, if, if you want to see how, it says with the seven thunders. Go to that passage here in chapter 10 where it talks to the seven thunders. Um, it says, when he shouted, in verse 3, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And, and when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Well, that's peculiar. Well, no. Do you remember fourth grade? I hated fourth grade. Oh, fourth grade and 11th grade. Those, those are rough years. Does a fourth grade teacher, we'll go with math. Does a fourth grade math teacher just dump calculus, trigonometry? We'll even throw in algebra. I mean, you're throwing letters into these things to a fourth grader. No. Are you going to give a fourth grader a 10-page paper to write before they can really start to form good sentence structure. No. And so Christ, as the great teacher, he knows what we need to know when we need to know it. And so scholars, it was funny as I was preparing for this message, scholars have tried and tried and tried to figure out what these seven thunders are, and I just kind of chuckled. I'm sorry. If God doesn't want you to know what the seven thunders are saying, you're not going to know what the seven thunders are going to say. So I'm, hey, that lets me off the hook for those couple verses. That's all I got to say. 
No, but it, it, I want you to get that God has, that, that's a beautiful portion of this scripture because it shows that God has picked out just what you need to know out in the scriptures. He has revealed to us specifically what we need to know. That's beautiful. He's sovereign, and it continues to show through in God's word. So we have this little scroll, the purposefully selective word of God. So then what is the great teacher teaching John and subsequently us in this passage, this purposely selective word of God? Well, how did Christ teach so often in the scriptures when he was on earth? Well, that's parable, correct? What is parable? Well, parable is symbolism. Parable is metaphor. He uses story and examples to teach us. And so, while yes, I do literally believe that John literally ate the scroll, but I feel that it's a metaphor. It's symbolism for, for, for what we need to be doing. Something that was great at that conference now and I went to, they actually spoke to, you know, we need to be devouring Scripture. And it's interesting that the word meditate, which we're told to meditate on the Scriptures daily, Guess what that word is also used in the scriptures? In Isaiah, it's actually used to describe a lion standing over its kill, growling, having ownership, authority, devouring its prey. Are the scriptures your prey? That was something I was convicted of this week. Can I really say that I am praying as a lion on scripture? Gut check time. So God, in a very literal sense, is giving us a beautiful picture of what we need to be doing. We need to be ingesting the word of God. But then we've got this confusing part. It's sweet in my mouth, and then when it gets to my stomach, it's bitter. What in the world? Aren't there some really beautiful parts of Scripture? Sweet passages that we can just go to over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and they just truly restore your soul. Each of us have our own our own passages that are like this. You know, some are, you know, um, I know the plans I have for you, plans to help, not to harm you, or I will restore your soul and lift you up on eagles' wings. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. We have are passages that we love over and over. And that's great. Enjoy them. They're there for a reason. Purposely selected word of God. Even the the sweet portion. But what do we do with the scriptures that turn our stomach sour? That are really bitter. That are hard to digest. Bitter does not mean bad. Bitter is a flavor. It doesn't mean that it's gone bad. It's important to know. So why did God select these bitter passages. Passages like God telling the, the Israelites, go and completely slaughter the Amalekites. Man, woman, child? And not only that, wipe them from the history books. Wipe them from your memory. Whoa, God. Easy. <laughs> what about grace and mercy, right? What do we do with that? That's hard. 
what do we do with passages like John 15 where it talks about the life of a disciple and, and Christ says, oh yeah, and if you're my disciple, you better be hated. That, that's a mark of being a disciple. The world, it, it's going to hate you. Well, not, not me. I, I, I'm, I'm a pretty cool guy. Everyone likes me. No. If you are truly my disciple, you will be hated. What do we do with that? That's hard. That's bitter. What do we put up in nurseries so often? Noah's Ark. The entire world, save one family, is killed. What do we do with that passage? What do we do with Revelation? It's bitter. What if God had removed those? What if he didn't select those passages? I wanted to get a scale this week because I think it illustrates it really well, but when we remove the bitter, it really distorts our gospel. If we ignore the bitter passages, if we remove them from our studies, if we remove them from our mind and just like, nope, we're not going to deal with that, then the gospel that and those sweet passages that we love so much become diluted. So often, and I'm guilty of this, I go out and I'm like, you know, I'm not that bad of a guy. I mean, heck, I'm a pastor. You know, I, I, yeah, I tell a white lie now and then, or, or you know, I, I probably shouldn't have watched that movie, but it, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I'm fine. You know, regardless of what your pitfall is, so often we try to justify it. We say we're not that bad of a person. As a professor at Moody told me, Andrew, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Believe it. Dirty, rotten sinners are about that far off the ground. And when we try to make our state better, saying, we're, we're, we're really probably about right here. We're, we're a pretty good guy. Well, then God hasn't saved us from that much. Jesus Christ, dying, I mean, dying on the cross, you know, he might elevate us to this position of family. But he, he only restored it from here to save here. You know, no. If you've sinned in any way, it, it even thought of sin, no, you are as low as it gets. If we remove that bitter side where it's like we're awkwardly evil, capable of such evil, if, if we remove that, then we're just saying, well, yeah, God did good things. He, he, he elevated me here, but no. The gospel is this. It's not, okay, yeah, he, he tilted the scale a little bit in my favor. No. It's a complete 180. We need the bitter. What about God's judgment? Again, that's one we're talking directly to with revelation. That's not an easy thing. But without... God's righteous judgment, A, his mercy, would it be that great? Because we've got nothing to be saved from, right? We need God's judgment to show us what we're being saved from. Don't get me wrong. Yes, we are Christians. And so, yes, Revelation should have a tent of, oh, thank the Lord, you are coming, and we have heaven to look forward to, and Pain is removed, but reality is, 
you deserve this judgment. You deserve every bit of wrath poured out upon you and me. If we don't have the Savior, of course. And so if we remove the fact of of God's righteous judgment from the Scriptures, well then, ah, nothing to be saved from. No need for a Savior. There's not going to be wrath and we don't need Jesus. So often nowadays we try to remove hell. That's been a a recent thing because a a righteous God, he's he's not going to send people to eternal hell and no. The moment we remove hell, it's the moment we don't need a God. We really don't. If eventually, like, like unfortunately some, some scholars are coming out and saying, if we remove hell and everyone eventually gets to heaven, why are you here on Sunday morning? You could have been sleeping in. There's no purpose. We remove those bitter passages and the gospel is diluted. It's distorted. The wonderful glories that we can revel in, the sweet passages, they mean nothing. We need the full palette that God has selected for for the Bible. The full palette, the sweet and the bitter. So vital. But there is emotion that comes with the bitter. And I want to speak to that. I don't want to just say, okay, the sweet and bitter give, give us, you know, it's good to have both. There, there should be an aspect when we read Revelation that we're like, wow. Yes, I am so excited for God's return. I, I want heaven. I want Christ to be glorified once again. I want the new Jerusalem. I want the millennial kingdom. I want Christ. Yes, that's wonderful. Look forward to that. But there should also be, especially as we've just been talking about the seals and the trumpets, and we're getting to the bowls, there should also be part of us that's like, those are my co-workers. Those are my friends, my family, maybe. The great teacher is teaching us still. And he's saying through his word that there should be a bitter portion that just gives us that kick. The realization that we need to be out evangelizing, yes. We need to be living our lives in a way that evangelizes. Because reality is, judgment day is coming. And so, yes, it will be horrific. But out of that, there should be a reaction. It should push us forward to evangelism. And it's curious. God knew this. Verse 11. Then I, John, was told, you must prophesy again. What is prophesy? Go tell. Go tell what God is saying. That should be our response to this passage. Go prophesy about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. doesn't matter. Who? That should be our natural response. This purposefully selected word of God, the little scroll, should first be internalized, devoured, preyed upon. Yes, preyed upon, but also as a lion prays, we should be preying upon the scriptures. And from that internalizing, there will be an aspect that's quite bitter, quite sweet. And the combination of this palate in our mouth 
should spurn us on to evangelize. I think the great teacher knows what he's doing. That, that's what I, I truly see Christ as being unveiled in, in, in this chapter. And it's a beautiful picture. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's not always fun to read about these things, but it's so necessary. You know, I, is Andrew Hartwig in the building? I want to brag on you. I know I didn't tell you. Wave your hand. I've heard a couple times about you that you've evangelized in your own classroom. That's cool, guys. What grade are you in, Andrew? Fourth grade. Oh. Oh, dear. God bless you. No. In all seriousness, though, he gets it. You might be in fourth grade, but you get it, Andrew. What's so different about us? And I don't do that as a guilt trip. Oh, he's doing it. Why don't you? I'm just saying it's real. If he can do it, so can we. Yeah, it's, it's not always easy, but it's what we're called to do. And so let's do it. Let's go in and pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, how you have selected it specifically to speak to us. We thank you that you are the great teacher, that you have taught us so many times out of your scripture. Help us not forget the bitter. Help us to see how this only serves to add to the flavor of your gospel, Lord. Help us to go this week, this month, this year, this lifetime, Lord, praying upon your scripture, internalizing it, which will only serve to further your kingdom, your gospel, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.